Micah 6.8, he has told you more to one what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We are so thankful you're with us today. We have a special guest, so we want to get right to it. Let's do this. I'm Taylor. And I'm Brian. And welcome to the Echo Podcast. Where we are looking for truth in the noise. It's uh, good to be with you. How are you doing, Taylor? Not too bad. How are you doing? I am doing well. Super excited. We have my good friend, Laron West, with us right here at the podcast. Hey, Laron, how are you? I'm doing fine, Brian. Taylor, good to be here. Good to have you here. It's great to be here. Laron and I have been friends for a number of years. What, seven, eight? uh, Oh, at least something like that. At least that that many years. Uh, We've spent many a Thursday morning uh, praying together. Yes, yes enjoyed um, a little trip or two. And uh, so uh, I'm really excited because every time I, I talk to Laron, I leave encouraged and um, enriched, and I'm thankful uh, just to have him as a brother in the Lord encouraging me. And so thank you for, for giving a little bit of time to us today. Uh, if you would, can you just tell everybody a little bit about uh, uh, your story of how you ended up uh, preaching at Gilcrease Hills Baptist Church and kind of kind of what brought you along the way? Oh my, this is a great opportunity. I've, I've never done one of these before, so uh, I'm not nervous about it, but it is different for me. You have a good radio voice, like you should do these more often. Oh so. no, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I, um, I, I was born here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, many, 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 many years ago, <laughs> yeah, and uh, grew up in North Tulsa and, and under the under the shadow of uh, the race massacre and all of that, and being an African American in Tulsa, and and I, I love Tulsa. I love I love Oklahoma. It has its problems, but but I love that. Uh, I grew up in an extremely strict Protestant sect, the Church of God, mm-hmm. um, and uh, no music in the church and that kind of thing. Extremely sh- strict, and it didn't seem like the people were uh, happy to be saved or happy to know Christ. Hmm. And as a child, it's, that's bothersome because childs want to run and play and jump and see yeah. happy. Every once in a while, somebody get happy and shout and that kind of thing. But as soon as I, I made up in my mind, as soon as I got old enough, I was getting out of there going to have me some fun. And I did, but um, I left that uh, denomination and ended up going to a Baptist church many, many years later after college and so forth and joined the Baptist denomination and, and, and I was at First Baptist Church North Tulsa mm-hmm. when I was ordained as a minister, uh, as a deacon and then a minister and so forth. The Lord called me to the ministry there. Preached and taught there for many years. And then in uh, 1990, uh, I, was, I was on the fire department and the fire chief came in and saw me studying the Bible and, and preparing a Bible lesson. So he asked me if I was a preacher and I told him yes. And I, did, I didn't know him at the time. And he said, well, I'm, I have a, I'm a pastor in the church. Would you come by and do Bible study for us on a Wednesday night? And I, I told him I agreed I would. And in a couple of weeks or so, I was at Gilcrease Hills Baptist Church and did the Wednesday night Bible study. He was there, and there was about, oh, about 24 people there. Well, that Sunday, after that Wednesday, he, he got sick. 
and asked me if I would handle Sunday morning worship service. <laughs> and so I did Sunday morning yeah. worship and Sunday night. And so for the next three months, I did Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday for three months. Wow. He was out sick for that long, and these were total strangers, and the Lord worked that out. When, when he came back from his illness, they offered me a position as a youth minister and assistant pastor. Mm-hmm. And I've been there ever since. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a, a great work. And you were in that role for how long? That in the kind of a, a associate youth ministry. Two role? years. Two years. Two years. I was there. I went there in 1990. Mm-hmm. In 1992, the pastor resigned, mm-hmm. and he recommended that they call me as pastor. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, at that time, the the church there was two other African American families in the entire church. We were the third. <laughs> And they had a vote, and it was unanimous. Um, they vote among the deacon body and mm-hmm. those that were making mm-hmm. the decision. And then they had a vote of the church, and it was unanimous to call me as pastor, and I've been there ever since. Yeah. Cause when we talk about the call of God, we think about you know this general call of God, of God calls us to follow him, mm-hmm. to make disciples. Uh, but God also has these little specific calls in our life, and that was pretty obvious for you, oh, wasn't it? Oh, my goodness. A- absolutely. Uh, it was difficult for me because I, the First Baptist North Tulsa is the oldest African-American church in North Tulsa and mm-hmm. very prestigious. Yeah. Anybody's anybody in North yes. Tulsa. They go look. And that's where I started. And I was actually being groomed to be the next pastor of First Baptist Church North Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Then when I left uh, First Baptist Church and went to Gilcrease Hills Baptist Church, which was a predominantly um, a white church and Southern Baptist. Right. Um, I, I, I took it on the chin a little bit. Um, yeah. uh, I imagine. Yeah, uh, the Oklahoma Eagle, which was an African-American paper, then owned by African-Americans then, they wrote up several articles about me which weren't too kind and mm. uh, really? and deleterious. And so my wife, I had written up a lot because I'm pretty good with words. I had written up articles to rebut that, and my wife said, don't do it. I've met your wife, and she's smarter than you. <laughs> That's really good advice. <laughs> wow. You, you, you're right, Brian. She is. <laughs> Why would I marry somebody dumber than me? <laughs> uh, Mar- that, that's a whole conversation in oh, and of man. itself. I should have made you introduce Marlene earlier. Marlene is uh, an incredible lady. Yes, uh, she is. Yeah, yes, she is. Wow. And, and you just had an anniversary, right? Yes. Uh, uh, this Saturday, this past Saturday, May first, was uh, 39 years. And I got in trouble for taking a preaching engagement on May the second, the day after <laughs> anniversary. Oh goodness! Yeah. So I'm I'm still in the doghouse somewhat. I'm I'm, I'm doing a little better You're now. Doing better after I, after Branson. I'm still stuck on the fact that you were raised Church of God, and then you decided you wanted to have fun, and you ended up Baptist. <laughs> that blows my mind, and I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> well, what there was there were some years in between there. Oh, okay, uh, my, gotcha, my, gotcha. My teenage years and adolescence, because I was raised in the church, extremely strict. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost straight straight jacket religion is what I would call it, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, th- that's what led to that. And I, I got kind of wild riding motorcycles and right. doing all kinds of things. And just not that riding motorcycles is wrong, but the way I was doing it was wrong. Gotcha. So, um, and, and that's what led to that. And it was, it, w- it was some years in between there that right. I didn't cover that um, before I went to the Baptist church. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I don't want to leave people out who are not from Tulsa, mm-hmm. but I did want to talk just a little bit about Tulsa. And, but I think we can do it in a way that will bring everybody in. Sure. Um, so you referenced the, the race massacre that uh, occurred in Tulsa in 1921, and I realize there's more people who are aware of that nationally and internationally now. We're getting close to our, the 100-year anniversary of 
that not the race, terrible event. Not the race riot. Correct. Massacre. The race massacre. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And just recently have changed that language here because that better reflects that. Better um, can you give people just a, maybe who aren't familiar with what happened, just a, a kind of a quick overview of like, yeah, sure. uh, here's what happened. Sure. Um, uh, my, um, at the Drexel building downtown, which was downtown Tulsa in, in 1920, 1921, well, prior to, to the incident that I'm going to mention, there, there had been a, a, a tension growing between North Tulsa, which was basically uh, Black Tulsa. They actually had a, a moniker that called it Little Africa. Mm -hmm. And it was known, it became known as Black Wall Street because there were a lot of black businesses that were thriving on Greenwood. And, and they'd become their own economic community, folded in on itself. You could, anything you needed, you could find it there on Greenwood. It was known as the Black Wall Street throughout all of the country, very successful businessmen, very entrepreneurial, and doing very well. Well, when, when those dollars were being spent in that community, that, that meant they weren't being spent downtown. In, in the white community. And so there was kind of a tension that was already growing along with the racial tension that was growing, and Archer was a strict divide between that. So uh, one day, uh, Dick Rowland, <coughs> which was a teenager, I think 16 to 17 years old, and Sarah Page, she was an elevator operator. Mm -hmm. An elevator operator, that at that time, they had to level the floor of the, mm -hmm. the elevator as it came to the floor. And he stepped onto the elevator. Now, the reason he was getting onto the elevator is because uh, Coloreds at the time weren't allowed to use the restrooms on the lower floors. Mm -hmm. They had to go all the way to the penthouse, how ridiculous, to use the restroom. And so he was going, he was a, a boot black, a boot black is the person that signed shoes. And so he was taking a break and he was going to catch the elevator. He'd done it many times before going to the restroom. Well, as he stepped off the floor onto the elevator, it wasn't quite level, so he stumbled into Sarah Page, who was the elevator operator. And some said she screamed. And some said other things, and it went, it went from there. And it, in other words, it came out that he molested her, mm -hmm. which it doesn't seem like true or whatever, but that's the way the story goes. And, as, and he got arrested for that, and they took him to jail. Well, this, uh, once that got to Black Wall Street or Little Africa, then they said that the word got out that they were going to lynch him. And so African Americans went down there, they were armed, and they were talking to the sheriff who was standing there, and they, he had deputized a lot of people at the time, so you had these two factions meeting up in the front of the jail. They're saying that, that they were gonna take him out of the jail and lynch him, and they said, no, you're not. And so that's where the confrontation happened. And then, as, he, as uh, I think it was Sheriff McCullough, I believe was his name, I'm not sure, I believe that's the true name. Um, he had kind of, uh, diffused things and quieted things down, and as they were leaving, there was a tussle. Something happened. There was a tussle between uh, one of the blacks and one of the whites over a gun, and a gunshot went off, and then several gunshots went off, and that's when the riots, the riot, the massacre started. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. It could, couldn't be a riot because it, it was one-sided. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah, and, and uh, talk about just like the destruction that followed over the next 24 oh, uh, hours and for beyond. The, for the next 24 to 36 hours, um, um, Men uh, rode in cars. They had been deputized, and, and they, they looted and burned all of the business for about 36 blocks of North Tulsa from Archer to Greenwood all the way down. All the houses and businesses were burned. Uh, 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 blacks were uh, accosted out of their houses and put in internment camps and, 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 and made to leave, and uh, it was just mayhem. They even had uh, planes dropping incendiary devices on the city. It was just a tragic 
tragic thing. Uh, bodies burned in the streets, people killed, and uh, the number that was killed, they really don't know how many. Some, some estimate 300 or more. Some of them have numbers larger than that. But it's a tragic time and a tragic time uh, in Tulsa's history. Mm -hmm. And it was called a, a riot for years because that meant insurance companies did not need to pay back. Exactly. Uh, to rebuild homes or businesses mm -hmm. um, since it was labeled a riot. And uh, obviously there's the economic impact, there's the emotional trauma impact. Like what have you seen just kind of in your life um, has, has been the, I guess the leftovers from that incident and the things surrounding it? Well, um, as you can imagine, um, those that survived, they would come back from wherever the internment camp was that they were, come back to where their home was, and they, there, there would be nothing there. It's burned to ashes. There's, there's nothing. Uh, people come back to homes, and there are no homes. And uh, just how that impacted so many people and so many lives, just a total disruption. And even out of that, to, 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 to begin to work and try to rebuild, where do you get that spirit from? Where do you, where do you, what, where do you go from here? What do you do? This is home and, and everything's gone that we've built and all of that. So that has had a, a profound impact on the psyche and the emotional well-being of, of Tulsa. And that, I think that it still lingers today in the hearts and minds of people that are native Tulsans. That divide and that separation between races, it still exists. There's animosity there. There's anger there. There's, we've, we've, we've never been paid for the wrong that they've did. Somebody's got to pay for this, those kinds of things. And, and no insurance claim has ever been, they filed insurance claims because a lot of the businesses had insurance, but no insurance claim has ever been paid mm -hmm. for that, any of that. Yeah, one of the stats that bothers me the most is, um, you mentioned Archer or Admiral Street kind of runs parallel to that, um, divides what would be considered North Tulsa and, and, and South Tulsa and, yeah. and South, and the lifespan is 10 to 12 years shorter if you live north of Admiral. Mm -hmm. And that's always bothered me, um, and it should bother all of us, and I'm glad our mayor bothers him, and I'm glad that he's mentioned that before. Yes. Yes. Um, but it becomes really complex to figure out, like, why is that? And then even the bigger question is, like, what do we do about it? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, we started with Micah, um, six, six, and, you know, what does the Lord say to you um, but to act justly? Mm -hmm. Um, how has that, that idea of justice, how have you kind of wrestled with that and tried to uh, make that part of your life and ministry? Yeah. Um, uh, thanks for that, that question. And, and the scriptures talks about that God loves justice. And the, the problem that comes up is, is who's defining the justice. If it's right for you, it can't be right for me. Or if it's right for me, it cannot be right for you. And we, we tend to confuse justice and equality. Uh, justice from God's eyes has to do with what's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not, 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 not who benefits, but what is right. Uh, I always like to look at the, the scales of justice model, you know, yeah. where you have the scales yeah. and, and it's tilted one way or the other, and justice should be balanced. And so uh, from the Word of God, it's real difficult to see uh, things be so unequal because it seems to me that it's not just. One of the things that I try to do in trying to uh, wrap my, my emotions and my life around what justice 
can be or what it should be is if it's right for me and it benefits me, then it should be right for you and benefit you. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the only equality we can seek because in God's eyes, he didn't create anybody that was more special to him than anyone else. We're all created in the image of God, the, the, the Imago Dei, which is what we are. And so if we are all in the image of God, then that doesn't make anyone better than anyone else. So justice, uh, to me, has to come closer to the golden rule. I won't injure you because I know what it would feel if I was being injured in that way. It's real difficult <coughs> um, because equality is not justice <laughs> mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and being equal. Um, we're, we're, this, this world is not equal. Mm -hmm. uh, there's different things. Uh, 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 there's a hierarchy uh, of, of things, but that's not the way God sees things. Yeah. It's very difficult. Yeah. And you've gotten, unfortunately, a close look at what injustice looks like several times in your life. Mm -hmm. would, would you, uh, I, I would love to just brush by and go on, but I, and I know you get tired of talking about it a little bit, so I've got your permission. But I think it's so helpful for people to hear like a concrete story sometimes. Would Would you mind maybe just sharing one example of how um, you've been the victim of injustice? I know you don't you don't play the victim card at all, and you won't even share the stories unless I ask. <laughs> um, but I, I would you mind maybe just sharing one of those stories or a oh, concrete example? No problem. I, I uh, and and you're right. I don't. I don't like to highlight uh, what hurts, and I don't like to highlight what I can't fix because I, I'm not going to enter into vengeance or, or vengeful thinking or seeing myself ever ever as a victim because once Christ has saved me, I'm no longer a victim. Mm -hmm. But but uh, now when I, I went to uh, Oklahoma Military Academy, and um, I, I was uh, I was a good athlete in junior high school, and my high school coaches were always looking forward to me being in high school. I actually wrestled some matches when I was in junior high school for the high school mm -hmm. at Booker T. And um, they were going to enter uh, Booker T. Washington was the last school that were integrated in Tulsa. It was a, a African American school with a great history, still does. And I was getting ready to go to Booker T. I was going to be in the tenth grade at the time mm -hmm. it was high school. And um, the first teacher that they brought to Washington, you're going to think I'm making this up, but this is actually true. His name was Mr. All White. <laughs> no. No. I'll tell you the you truth. You can't make that up. <laughs> I guess yes. right. Life is truer than wow. fiction. Oh, wow. wow. He was a typing teacher, and I had all my credits. I could have graduated right out of the ninth grade. I had all my state requirements. Anyway, I got in some trouble with him, and uh, they had a trial at the – school board and uh, I was I, anyway I had to go to Oklahoma Military Academy so my family I worked that summer at a steel mill to pay for my money to go to Oklahoma Military Academy in Claremore Oklahoma which is notorious for uh, racial uh, problems back in the day they matter of fact they had a radio station they broadcast from the Klan for years I don't even know if it's still doing it now they may be but anyway so we're on our way to Oklahoma Oklahoma Military Academy, my family's taking me down there. I'm going to have to live on campus. Mm -hmm. and I'm a teenage boy. I'm right out of the ninth grade. Mm. And we go to a restaurant on Will Rogers Boulevard. Yeah. And we sit down at the table, my dad, my sister, my brother, my mother. And 
we're sitting there for a while, and then the lady comes out to wait on us, and she asked us, she said, do you all mind eating in the kitchen? My dad said, excuse me, uh, what, what do you mean? She said, well, we, we'll serve you, but we won't serve you here in the public um, mm-hmm. um, space. You all can eat in the kitchen. My dad said, why would we have to eat in the kitchen? She said, well, we don't serve coloreds in the, the dining area. In the dining yeah. area, yeah. So my dad said, no, we walked out. Well, they were taking me as a teenager to go to school here. I was going to be here. They're going to leave me here in this city in Claremore. And that issue right there, that solidified for me how, you know, that's just a slight problem. I've had others, but that's the one I can share. Yeah, you, you've had others that maybe if you ranked them might be more severe, but I don't want to, like, just skip yeah. by that. And yeah. I think it's easy to do that but not think about what that does to the psyche and what that teaches you yeah. and, um, and the impacts of that yeah. later on. One of, one of the things that happens uh, that I'm noticing, uh, part of my background is, uh, in being a, a Christian and a child of God, part of my education is psychology and sociology, so I understand a, a little bit about human behavior. The Bible is the best book on that, no question about that. But if I was to diagnose the African-American people in America, I would say that we're all suffering from a level of uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome. It's, 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 it's classic because there's a, there's a pressure that never lets up. There's a, there's a, a us-against-them mentality and emotion that never goes away. The only time I felt it lighten up any was my first uh, mission trip to West Africa. I took a mission trip to West Africa in 1990. I was there for six weeks. And just, just landing in Africa and, and, and seeing the faces that were there, the majority, for the first time in my life, were dark-skinned people, people of color. For the mm-hmm. first time in my life, the majority of the people were dark-skinned. And there was a, a relief. Mm. Now, I'm in a foreign country. I don't speak their language or anything, but there was a there was as if there was a, a freedom. Mm-hmm. And I was there for six weeks, and I learned a lot of things. And I noticed when I came back to America that when I landed, it seems as if that weight suddenly was there again. Mm-hmm. It's as if you have to wake up every day of your life and prepare yourself to participate and excel and succeed in a world that is already stacked against you, and that never goes away. Hmm. You uh, have some friends who are on a commission that's doing some work uh, for the city of Tulsa to uh, remember and grieve uh, what happened in 1921 and, and try to celebrate some of the rebuilding that's happened. Um, uh, how is that going in Tulsa uh, with, with that commission? You have some friends that are part of that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Senator Matthews and Phil Armstrong, great friends of mine, are doing a great job. They have several events that are planned as we commemorate this. You know, it's amazing that we normally commemorate tragedy, but it's not just commemorating the tragedy, but it's, I like to think of it in the terms of honoring the lives that were, innocent lives that were lost. And we don't need to repeat that. And it seems that that attitude or the same animus or the same 
um, thing that caused the riot to, I mean, the massacre to happen in the first place still exists today. And so we hope that through this commemoration that there can be a healing, there can be a way that we can uh, live together as, as brothers and so that an event like this or the things that caused or was a stimulus for these, this kind of an event doesn't happen again. Yeah, and uh, so you trust a couple of the guys that are leading that to be oh, yeah, really absolutely. good Christian guys. Good Christian men. Um, would you say that they're catching it from both sides? Uh, yeah, uh, in a, in a sense, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had some um, we've had some communication that there are some factions here in Tulsa that would like to repeat what happened in 1921. There are some voices out there. I don't uh, credible. Uh, voices out there. We haven't we haven't discovered a specific plan, but there's some credible voices out there on social media and so forth that would say uh, that would like to um, destroy Greenwood again. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we're we're trying to pay attention to that and monitor that. But um, that's not the hope, and we're praying that that doesn't happen. And that's not what the commemoration is all about. We Tulsa has come a long way. We've come a long way. I, I, we had a, a commemora- commemoration service at Gilcrease Hill Baptist Church this past Sunday. Mm-hmm. And one of the, my tasks was to speak about um, race relations in 1921, how we're doing then and how we're doing now and what mm-hmm. was the uh, uh, look, outlook for the future. And my dad was there. My dad is, uh, he'll be 89, August the 24th of this year. Mm-hmm. Wonderful man. A uh, good godly man, and one of the things that I spoke about—I uh, won't give you the whole speech—but one of the things I spoke about was he was sitting in the audience when I spoke, and I said, "In 1932, when my dad was born, he was dealing with these issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, m- all of my life, and now I'm dealing with the same dealing with the same issues of race and racism and prejudice and 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 segregation and those kinds of things." And I got a letter from my my 14-year-old granddaughter who's facing the same thing. So you tell me what progress we have made. Mm. And there, uh, uh, Governor Walters was there, mm. uh, Senator Rader, who used to coach mm-hmm. uh, TU, he was there, mm-hmm. and uh, Roger Randall was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just had several dignitaries there. And, and it's, it just tells us that, uh, that the incremental or the baby steps that we've taken, even if they've been taken in the right direction, are not near enough. Mm-hmm. So we keep taking them. One of the things I've really appreciated about you is that um, you have made sure to most closely align and support those who aren't who aren't seeking just to have a power grab or to make it about the identity based on skin color. Mm-hmm. And you have a phrase that I've heard you use a couple dozen times. Of like, I'm not into the flesh fights. <laughs> yes. What do you mean by that? What I mean by uh, See, what frees me from the flesh fights, I, I was told by an old minister that's dead now, Dr. McCutcheon, he's, he's gone on, uh, don't involve yourself with flesh fights because flesh fights are surface. And what happens um, in a flesh fight is, if you, if you let me use um, your jersey, your skin color is your jersey. So um, I'm a Washington team fan. Okay. Ah, I got it right. Yeah, yeah you did. Washington <laughs> well football done. team. Well Washington done. football team. You got team. it right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you, and you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
we, we're at odds with each other because of our jersey. Mm-hmm. Our skin is our jersey. Our skin is what we see on the outside, but it's not who we are and it's not what makes us what we are. So that gives us that gives us tribalism. That gives us once I look at you because of the jersey that you wear, I've already put you in a certain category. Mm-hmm. Once I look, and so as, as as a child of God, I don't get that. I don't I don't get that um, privilege. And one of the things that that taught me that and, and drove it home for me as a fireman was as a fireman, if if a building is on fire and somebody's life is at stake. I don't get to choose what jersey they wear. I don't get to choose what skin color they are. A life is at stake. And not only am I responsible for caring about or being concerned about that life being at stake, it's my obligation and my responsibility to put my life on the line for whatever that life is, Mm -hmm. regardless of their skin color, regardless of if they're a Dallas fan or, or whatever. I don't get to choose that. So Jesus didn't choose on the basis of skin color. So I I think you've kind of answered this just in already your responses, but how would you help people who haven't experienced racism or prejudice or injustice as as you in in the community has when they say things like, well, that was then, but this is now? How do you help them understand and see what they may not be able to see because of their own, if you will, jersey uh, that they're wearing? Sadly, sadly enough, um, there are enough current events that fit the same model, that come out of the same attitudes, the same um, irresponsibility, the same I'm better than you and one-upsmanship. There are plenty contemporary incidents that speak to that. So you don't have to go to history uh, with, with the lynchings and, and the massacre and all of that. You can go to current events and, and deal with contemporary things because the same attitudes that cause that are still prevalent today in, cause, in causing that. Um, uh, so, so to help someone with that is, what I suggest is you choose not to be a part of causing somebody else pain or someone else difficulty. Mm. You, you choose in yourself. And, and what I try to do in, in my presentations that has chosen me, because I, I prefer to preach the gospel and I believe that the Bible will take care of all of this. Mm. <laughs> I, I believe that. that. That brings me to the next question. I love hearing about how uh, Christians who are engaged in politics, they're not defined by politics, and that allows us to cross the aisle, right? Democrat, Republican, independent, whatever. The goal for the Christian should be, even if these people aren't going to be Christians, they're still humans, and they need to be treated with such dignity and compassion and should have, uh, if you will, the justice that you're talking about. How do you promote justice, recognizing it's a Christian ideology um, coming from the character of God without, if you will, imposing your Christianity on other people? Because we believe that only God can make things just. And at the end of the day, he's going to be the one to fix it. But there are people who aren't going to be Christians. So how do we maintain and build justice even though we know they're going to reject the source of it? Yeah, and... And you, you, you can't sell the idea of Christianity to everyone. I understand that. Um, because that's not the only I- ideology out there. It's the only one for me, and that's what I choose to believe, and that's, that's the way it is. And, I, and, of course, I believe I'm right, but I, I, I could have some fallacy in that. Sure. But in, in the way and, and the bottom line in just humanly speaking is, is the idea of the commonality of pain. 
the commonality of what hurts me um, will hurt you. Um, if, if, if you wouldn't want it done to you where it's injurious to you because it doesn't feel good and you don't like it, then don't do that to someone else. That sounds biblical. It, it is biblical, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't couch it in biblical terms. Right. And I didn't say God, and I didn't say Jesus said this, and right. I didn't go to the scripture with that. I can, but I didn't. Yeah. So just, just, just humanity that way. Yeah. And every, as far as I know, every being or everything that's created tr- tries to move forward. Yeah. Uh, not only tries to move forward literally in moving forward, but trying to do better each day, trying to do better in each moment. I don't know of anybody that's trying to move backwards or regress. Right. And, and so in that sense, the moving better means that I'm a part of helping you get to where your forwardness and you're helping me get to my forwardness. Yeah, we get to love our neighbor as ourselves regardless of their religion, re- regardless of a sexual preference, regardless of a skin color, yeah. because those aren't the things that determine our affection. And those are not the things that determine God's will either, I think. Nor God's love. Nor God's love. So, so what, how am I as a person, how can I justify withholding the love of God from any being that he's created? We're not, in answer to your rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... Um, Pastor West, thank you so much for being with us well, thank you. Uh, today, and um, I would love to have you back. Will you come back sometime? Sure, I'll be um, glad to come tomorrow. Back. <laughs> we'll do, we'll, same same time, same channel. There's about ten other subjects I want to hear from you on, so we're gonna pick a couple of those. Uh, but thanks for being here. Uh, just a quick word: if anybody wants to do a great Wednesday night Bible study. Um, that you lead. That's on, is that on the church's Facebook page or your Facebook? It's on churches. Hillcrease Hill Baptist Church live every Wednesday night. I caught it last Wednesday. Did you know I was there? No. I was snooping and it was great. It's a a great Bible study and that anybody can jump onto um, and you can visit uh, his church on Sunday mornings. Uh, Gilcrease Hills would love you to do that. And we'd love to have you back. And if anybody ever wants a tour of Reconciliation Park downtown, it's Great. great. And and we're thinking about going into business because we keep doing these tours down there. So let us know. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Laurent, for being with us. Nice to meet you. We would uh, thank you guys for listening. If you would rate the show, let others know about it, share it with others. We think this is really valuable and, uh, and helpful. And we also don't think that in this episode we fixed everything. But if this is the first time you're really hearing about these topics and conversations, we would really encourage you to talk to your pastor, get involved in your local community, do some research, because as much as we think we're going to be able to fix everything in our lifetime, until Christ returns, we're going to have issues. We're, we're, we're going to have some conflict. But yes. this, this is how we do what we can while we can. And stay tuned. We have some other heavyweight uh, interviews coming up and some more talk about biblical justice coming up. So uh, stay tuned in the weeks to come. I'm Taylor. And I'm Brian. And this has been the Echo Podcast. Where we are looking for truth in the noise.